Life is full of challenges. Some we can predict and many we can't. You don't need to go it alone. Counseling with a trained professional can be invaluable when we need some extra help managing stress, relationships, or figuring out how to navigate big transitions. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so you can connect safely and privately online within 48 hours of requesting an appointment. BetterHelp lets you connect one-to-one with a counselor, and they're committed to helping you find a great match so it's easy to switch therapists if it's not a good fit. And they can help you find a therapist with expertise in the areas you want help with, whether it's depression, anxiety, sleep, relationships, and more. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, and everything you share is confidential. Also, you can send messages to your counselor anytime, and they'll get back to you quickly. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com nocturne. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash nocturne for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. This episode is also brought to you with support from listeners like you. I really need your help to keep the show going strong. Find out how at nocturnepodcast.org slash support. You may not have noticed, but you never hear ads in the middle of Nocturne episodes. Those ads are called mid-rolls, and I don't do them because I think it's important in a show like this one to not interrupt the mood and atmosphere of the stories. But that makes this show even more reliant on listener donations. There are tens of thousands of you, but only a tiny fraction pitch in. I know how it is, but I really can't do it without you. So again, please head over to nocturnepodcast.org support or go directly to patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast to help out. Thanks in advance. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Usually when I would feel the panic start, um, my heart starts racing it starts very slowly and then builds and builds and builds and my body gets very tense and very very hot really fast and i have to clench my fists almost it's like it's like a burst of energy all at once that you can't get out of and most of the times panic attacks would happen when i would be in a crowd or a group of people that i knew i couldn't quickly get away from. So some examples of that would be um, in the pews at church during a quiet moment or on a bus or a plane. The anxiety doesn't come from being in a group of people. It comes from me knowing that should something happen, I won't be able to privately help myself. And instead it will become a public moment. My name is Grace Usselman. I'm 19 years old. The panic attacks that Grace describes were happening as early as nine years old. She didn't have a name for what was going on and assumed that she was alone in experiencing these uncontrollable episodes. 
So starting from a very young age, it was clear to me at least that the way I would react to pretty much any situation was very heightened compared to my friends. And I was kind of made fun of very playfully by my family and close friends because I would cry all the time about anything and just my reactions were very emotional to, to most anything. Especially when I was a young child, my mom even now tells me the story where we would go to church and they would play Silent Night on piano. And even from a few months after being born, I would instantly start crying. Anytime Silent Night was played anywhere, I would just bawl. I, I really don't know what about that song in particular, no pun intended, strikes a chord with me. Even today, if I, I have to mentally prepare myself to hear that song because it is such an emotional piece of music for me. And I, I really, I don't know why. And as I grew up, it became more and more overwhelming to deal with my emotional response to the situations I was in. So in elementary school, I, I started developing separation anxiety, which is very normal for young children. And my mother works and my father is and was a stay-at-home dad. So I would spend a lot of time with him. So whenever I was away from him for extended periods of time, I would become very overwhelmed and stressed and usually cry as a result of that. I just, I had a lot of feelings all the time. Not surprisingly, the older Grace got, the more of a problem this anxiety became. In elementary and even into middle school, we would go on field trips. Usually when I was younger, it was just day trips. And then as I got older, they were, you know, one night overnight trips and then into week-long trips. And I would get very anxious right before we would leave, the night before, the day before, um, especially if I knew that my dad or somebody that I knew as an adult wasn't going to be there. I would immediately panic over the thought of what might happen to me if I would get sick, if I would get lost, if something bad would happen and I would have to, to witness it. Very dark and overwhelming thoughts that a young child really shouldn't be thinking about, just obsessively in terms of, of like terror. I guess terror would be the word for it. It's just, just being scared all the time of everything. Grace's Irish Catholic parents figured she would grow out of her anxieties. They favored prayer over any kind of therapy to aid her in overcoming them. I think for the most part, they did think it was just a kid being a kid, and especially the stereotype of a young girl being emotional. And at the time, it didn't seem like something that needed treatment to them. And I, I think that is due a lot to the fact that I was a young child and wasn't necessarily sure how to explain my feelings appropriately, especially when they were as overwhelming as they were. I didn't know the right words to explain how truly daunting they were to me. But as I grew up a little bit more, I think my family started to notice how deep those those internal fears, that anxiety was running through me. And they decided that I should maybe participate in something that would help that or kind of challenge me in that way. And I do think that was rooted in a place of love and and of wanting me to heal from this this wound and to fight this battle. I remember we were at dinner one night and my dad looked over at me 
and said, hey, so I found this trip sponsored by this group of people who take middle schoolers to different parts of the world and you you do different types of activities there and you go backpacking and you explore these countries. And I think that would be really good for you. Grace's parents were keen on three-week trips to China, France, or South America, which were basically unthinkable to her. They settled on a two-week backpacking trip in Western Canada. I said, sure, I guess I'd be interested in it because I knew even at, I was 12 years old, I knew that I was starting to get to the age where it was starting to not be a normal reaction or a normal feeling to have. And I I went to bed that night and laid down and thought to myself, you know, this would be a great opportunity for me to really learn my limits and work through it. And I was willing to try. So the trip departed June 8th. And I think we had put down all of my information and all the payments and whatnot in February or March. And then from March onward, we would have bi-monthly meetings as a group to get to know one another and learn about Canada, learn about where we were going and how to backpack across a country. (laughs) The meetings were very helpful to me because it was nice to see the people who I'd be traveling with, the people who would be leading us, the places we were going, really, really understanding the trip that I was about to go on. But definitely as as school ended and I entered summer, my coping mechanisms, which normally are being busy and being distracted, were gone all of a sudden. And um, I became very, very stressed and anxious, obsessively thinking about the trip, how it was going to go, what I was going to feel. My anxiety was rooted in the fact that I was scared of having anxiety on the trip. So I was just running in circles in anxiety about about the upcoming potential situation that I had no clue how it was going to go. So it was me taking thoughts out of my head and then running around myself, overwhelming myself to no end. I was very used at this point to having small panic attacks and I was worried about having anxiety with a group of other 12-year-olds who, for all I know, had no idea about what anxiety or panic attacks felt like and would be scared or concerned about how I would react. Um, I was scared of crying in front of them. I was scared of, of, of reacting to anything in front of them. And any type of mental reaction, in my opinion, is very vulnerable and very personal. And, you know, 12 to 14 is the age where everything is very personal and you were learning to grow up and we're embarrassed about a lot. And I was worried that I would get into a situation that I wouldn't know how to deal with. And then at that point, what do I do? These thoughts and anxiety swirled around and around in Grace's brain. While she wanted to push through her fears and feel more normal, she was increasingly consumed with trepidation about the trip. As summer approached and we got into into the last weeks of me being home and getting ready to leave, I suddenly developed childhood insomnia. And suddenly I couldn't sleep. I could get barely an hour or two of sleep 
each night. And every time I would even see my bed or get close to it, I would be overwhelmed with so much stress and anxiety. It was almost like someone had put a put like a fishing hook in my heart. And every time I thought about sleeping or anything, someone would tug at it really hard. And I lost my breath and I would get shaky. It was, it was truly a sensation I had never felt before. And I was 12 years old. I had no idea what was going on or why I was feeling this way about something that was supposed to be good for me, something very healthy and you know something that people like to do. People like to sleep. And all of a sudden I didn't like it and didn't know why. I would lie down and, you know, as, as one falls asleep, you close your eyes, you clear your head. Um, and every time that would happen, inside my head, it would, it, I was just racing. Every thought, every fear would come out and grab hold and it was, it was, it was just overwhelming. And sometimes I would be so exhausted from the, my lack of sleep that I would begin to fall asleep, but as, in that space between between truly being asleep and falling asleep, I would get that feeling of falling and then I would wake back up. I would get up, I would walk around my room, I would find a book that maybe I wanted to read or was reading. Sometimes I would make tea, but yeah, I would, I would just get up and shake a little bit and try and get out the energy that was just pent up in my head and my body. Grace was 12 years old, but this wasn't the classic childhood fear of a monster hiding under the bed or in the closet. At that point, I was terrified of not the dark, but the night, which is a difference that I find very interesting and substantial because I wasn't afraid of darkness. I was actually very comforted by that kind of private moment that you have to yourself. It's the, it's the one time where I feel like we really see ourselves and feel the things that we are feeling very vulnerably. So at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't me being a young kid afraid of the dark who needed a nightlight. It was me being so overwhelmed with the isolation that is nighttime and with all of the things that I was feeling all at once and not knowing how to deal with them. One of the first things I tried to do in order to cope with these overwhelming sensations was meditation and sitting quietly, which at 12 years old is a really hard thing to do. So almost right off the bat, that was not something that I stuck with, which is actually kind of funny because now I meditate daily and it's one of my biggest, most beneficial coping mechanisms. I also tried running at night or walking or just getting my body tired before I would go to sleep. I tried listening to music. I tried all of the different types of white noise and pink noise and different sound frequencies and anything that the internet told me was going to help me sleep. I tried anything that my little middle school brain could think of to help myself and none of them ended up working out for long at least. After a few weeks of experiencing this every single night, I one day was like, there is no way that I can continue living like this. It was deteriorating me and I was overwhelmed. I was going to bed and thinking about the trip and how nervous and scared I was and just got tired of it, couldn't take it. I sat up in my bed 
It was 12 or 1 a.m. at this point. And I just said, I'm not going to feel this anymore. I just looked around my room. And at, at night, there's almost like a blanket around you. And sometimes that blanket is really suffocating and sometimes it's like a warm hug. And at first that was really suffocating. And I was looking around and everything, the shadows around my room, everything was just overwhelming. It was scary. It was nighttime. So I kind of looked at the things that I was trying to use to help myself and other things that made me feel better. And all of the coping mechanisms that I tried were not something that would help me in the long run. They were momentary fixes. And at this point, I realized that this wasn't just a phase, you know? I, I knew that this was something I was going to be dealing with for a long time, and I wanted to learn more about how I could help myself. And I came to the conclusion that the only thing that was going to make me feel better in the long run was something that I knew I could control all the time. At any point, I could bring myself to this place or think of this or feel this, and it would soothe me because it was something tangible, I guess, which tangible is a weird word for it because it wasn't physical. It wasn't something I could hold. It was just something familiar. In all of my favorite stories, the hero does the hardest thing, and it's that they go into battle and they fight the, the big bad guy. And I said, you know, what if I looked into the night head on and figured out what about it was so overwhelming to me? So I quite literally sat down on my floor. I opened my blinds in my window one night, and I just looked at the stars. And... Luckily, where I live in Texas, we get a really good view of the night sky and there's not too much light pollution. So there were so many stars everywhere and I was amazed. I was entranced by them and I feel like stargazing and that activity is a little bit romanticized. So I wasn't at that point too keen on doing that, but I remember looking at them that night and I was like, hey, these stars are the same stars that I would see if I were in Texas, if I were in California, if I were in Colombia or France or anywhere. That's the same sky, no matter where you go. And just hearing myself think and say that was almost like a mantra. It was so comforting to me to know that it was just right there. I just look up. It's the simplest little thing. I just look up and it's right there, you know? The stars were something comforting to me because they were, they were constant and they were always going to be there. That consistency made me feel like I was in control of something when obviously I wasn't. I don't control the stars. I don't control the night. But it was something that I could say, okay, I'm in a moment of panic. I'm in a moment of fear. But, you know, look up and that thing that you feel so connected to, that thing that has helped you so much is right there in front of you. There is nothing to worry about. Your control is still here. I think in the moment, it was just a small thing that I did, but I ended up sitting there for like an hour and a half, just looking and 
thinking nothing. It was the first time in months I was thinking about nothing. And it was so freeing to not have that dip in my heart or that ache in my body and the fear that would just control me at all times. It was a, such a freeing moment. And I didn't think much of it the rest of the day, but then the next night I came back and I did it again. And then the night after that, I grabbed an empty journal and wrote down the constellations that I could remember at that point, probably just Orion, Perseus, Ursa Major and Minor, and then looked for them. And online, you can look up the constellations and what meteor showers are happening and the rising and movement of different planets. And I started doing that as well. Grace's dad had gotten her and her sister a telescope the Christmas before. It was complicated and hard to use, but she pulled it out. I was like, there is nothing else that I am doing at midnight and 1 a.m., so I might as well use this and figure out how to do it. Then I started really stargazing, and I moved from that window in my bedroom to out in my backyard or in the driveway, and I would just lay there for hours. And from one day to the next, the night was transformed. The night sky is terrifying to so many people because we know so little about it, and we learn more every single day. And there's so much unknown that that can be overwhelming for so many people, yet for me, it was this source of comfort. And I think it was because it's not that I know nothing about this, it's that nobody knows pretty much anything about it. And the little we do know can change tomorrow. The night, which was something that used to be so suffocating and so overwhelming and just scared me, once I learned that it wasn't something to be scared of at all, but rather something that felt like it was there to comfort me for the purpose of me taking a breath. It, it was like a stranger becoming a friend. And instead of in meditation, when you sit down and you're thinking about thinking about nothing, at least with looking at the stars, I was thinking about looking at the stars, which at that age, I didn't really know much about anyway, so I was just looking at balls of light. They were there, and I didn't need to do anything with them. Nothing that I thought or said or did was going to change the fact that those balls of light were right in front of me and burning endlessly until they disappear. That's, that's what they do, and they will do that until the end of time. And I think that's beautiful that me, 12-year-old girl in the modern world, sitting down and looking at the stars, where people all throughout history have done the exact same thing, just sat at the window and looked at the stars. The same stars, too, the exact same ones. Isn't it funny how the slightest shift in perspective can change virtually everything? For Grace, in the midst of fear and isolation, it only took a small movement and the shift of her gaze to feel a deeper sense of connection than she even knew she could. It seems that the biggest turning points in my life, I gaze out this window and something comes to me. And this probably was the start of that, where I was awake at 1 a.m. and opened the blinds and stared out the window and looked around at my neighborhood and the horizon and all the stars and felt something that moved me. 
And now at 19, I still use the night sky as a source of comfort and as a, a reminder that I am human in both every terrifying way, but also in every beautiful fact that I get to live on this planet and I get to live and breathe alongside billions of other people. Grace's anxiety didn't vanish, of course. She was still a human girl on the cusp of scary new things. I was overwhelmed up until the day before my very last day home. My very last day home, I slept all day and night. I slept the whole time. And I think my my brain was finally like, we cannot do this anymore. You need to rest so that we can prepare ourselves for what is about to happen and change your life. She was overwhelmed, but not terrified. She had found more than a new connection with the stars outside her window. That realization allowed me not only a window into discovery of the universe and the solar system, but also gave me some perspective because my fears and the anxieties that I was feeling are just human reactions. They are natural human, human nature. And that isn't something to be feared. And once I gained that perspective, I was able to find so much peace. She found peace and she found freedom. I got on the plane and I was feeling good and we landed and I was feeling good. And the whole trip was an incredible experience. It is one of my fondest memories. One night we were camping in Banff and I woke up and I remember smiling to myself because I wasn't anxious, I wasn't scared, and I was in a foreign country sleeping in the vast valleys of the nearby mountains. And I remember getting up and, and leaving the tent and I did exactly what I did at home. And I sat down in the grass and I looked at the stars and I just couldn't stop smiling. I couldn't stop smiling because I had I'd done it. I had unlocked what I had been trying to for so long, and I didn't have to fear anymore. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Other music in this episode by Janet Fetter, Miles Boyson, and Kent Sparling. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting Nocturne. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash nocturne. Connect one-on-one with a counselor online to get help and feel better. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash nocturne. Nocturne is primarily supported by listeners like you. Thank you if you already support us. If you haven't yet, it would really, really help if you went and did it right now. I produce this show 100% independently, almost entirely on my own. Everything from researching topics to booking and doing interviews, all the story editing, audio editing, everything. Along with freelance radio and podcast work, Nocturne is how I make my living. The more the show is supported by listeners, the more time and energy I can put into it. You can donate directly to keep Nocturne going strong. There's information about how to do this at our website, nocturnepodcast.org support. 
there are a couple of ways to pitch in. And if you support us at Patreon, you can automatically send a few dollars our way each month and you get regular updates from me about upcoming episodes and behind the scenes stuff. You can also get other perks like personalized videos when you join, bonus episodes, and a signed postcard in the mail. Extra big thanks to Adam Jensen and Nick Johnson, who joined the Happy Possum level of support on Patreon. That's the highest tier, and you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Okay, the rest of you, please head over now to patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast or go to nocturnepodcast.org slash support. Till next time, thanks for listening.